Welcome to SHIFT, a college admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can get a free trial at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Lindsay Tan from Logic Prep on the line with us today. Lindsay, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, that'd be great. Hi, Tyler. It's great to be here. I'm Lindsay. I'm the founder and CEO of Logic Prep. And for over the last decade, we've been supporting thousands of students around the country and around the world through their college application journeys, um, guiding them through the narrative development aspect of their applications, finding the right fit, uh, thinking through their standardized testing and helping them land at a place that they love. Fantastic. So then we're going to talk today about admissions decisions, what they mean, and particularly around, you know, being deferred and waitlisted, what you can do. So first, I mean, if you could just take it from the top of what are all the admissions decisions that you'll likely see and, you know, take it from there. Yes. So I suppose some of these decisions are somewhat straightforward. Some are less so. So um Certainly, it's possible to be accepted, which is a a wonderful, clear, (laughs) and happy outcome where we are all high-fiving at the end. Um, There are different pathways to being accepted, and we can get into this further down the road, whether students apply early decision, which is a binding commitment, or early action, or regular decision, Um, but accepted is accepted, so we like that. Um, Right. The next possible outcome, um, well, equally equally clear, is less um, exciting, and that is, of course, being rejected, which means that um, the college has decided to pass, um, and that would would not be a positive. Um, and then there's all the stuff that's in the middle, um, right? And so. One outcome um, that may come out of an early application round is a deferral, um, and that certainly causes a lot of angst and sometimes confusion. Um, right. And so, essentially, with a deferral, a college is saying to a student who has applied in the early round that they are pushing that application to the regular decision round and will reevaluate it along with the other incoming applications uh, that will arrive for regular decision. So that application Mm -hmm. file will be reopened um, and reevaluated sort of in that larger um, pool that is coming. Right. Um, And then the next outcome that is possible, which is less likely as a result of an early application, although sometimes it's possible, um, more likely uh, as part of the regular decision round is a wait list outcome. Um, And that is the college's way of saying, um, we are not taking you at the moment. We don't have room for you at the moment. Um, But as sort of a yield management tool for the colleges, if um, fewer students say yes to the offer uh, that we've made, that we anticipated, then perhaps we'll have room down the road uh, and we can go to the wait list um, and consider whether it's a viable possibility to, to bring you in. And some colleges um, maintain what are very sort of real active wait lists that they um, open each year. Um, some are, I would say, less optimistic places. Um, and some colleges may never make it to their wait list at all. Right. Do you feel like that breaks down by how desirable the college is? Or is it literally just a case-by-case basis? 
Um, it's fairly case by case and sort of practice, um, you know, by individual college, um, certainly around waitlisting. Got it. And then if you're deferred or I think we'll start with deferred. If you're deferred, what do you feel like your odds are, you know, just like at a high level? I mean, yes, it depends a lot, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts. Um, I think an acceptance after a deferral is challenging, but not impossible. Um, so why is it challenging? It's challenging because um, presumably a student has applied early, um, either early decision, which is a binding kind of expression of interest, saying if I am accepted through this round, and then I will go, um, or early action, which is another sort of votive or sign of enthusiasm. Um, mm-hmm. And early decision and early action application pools tend to be smaller. And so the decision will have been rendered after this first round and then, of course, pushed to this next round of regular decision when the pool is broader. Um, So it's simply harder to stand out in a larger pool um, with presumably more qualified applicants down the road, um, especially without being able to present any new sort of material updates um, mm-hmm. that are that are going to transpire in that period of time between deferral and reapplication. That's, as I said, not to say it's impossible, um, but certainly challenging. Well, something that we talked about in a previous episode was how your um, your fall semester senior year grades can help you when you get deferred. So can, let's talk about that. How do you like essentially how does that work and how do you update them? Yeah, so advice that we always give our students is after a deferral, if they remain interested in a school, to keep in touch with the school and let that school know. Um, So we support our students in drafting what we think of as continued interest letters. So to express that, yeah, I'm still here, I still want you, and I'm excited about the possibility of attending. And in those letters, it certainly can be helpful to point to any Um, material updates that have transpired since the time of application. And that can look like a new award or honor or development within the context of a club or activity that you're participating in. It can also look like... Yeah, like being team captain or... Exactly. Like maybe you were just appointed. Let the school know because that's something that should go in your file. But something that almost everyone has um, is the opportunity to show new grades. Um, so mm-hmm. strong grades, that's, that's a positive to point to. Right. And then what do you, when you're writing this letter of continued interest, who is it going to? And how are you, like, how are you writing the letter? Like, do you have any guidelines or rules for, for writing this update letter? Yeah, so the letter um, will typically go to your regional admissions representative. So that's sort of the person who's responsible um, for your particular area and is kind of the front line um, kind of bringing your application through the process. Um, And we really encourage our students to reaffirm their interests, um, to share any changes or updates um, that might be pertinent to the school. And to, um, I would say, restate the reasons why that particular school feels like a good fit. It's another good opportunity to look through the course catalog, think about the activities that are offered, sort of the culture of the school, and be able to articulate in a really compelling way 
why the match feels strong and important. Right. And then how do you have any thoughts on how long uh, that letter should be? Oh, a handful of paragraphs. I would say don't go too crazy. Um, and, and something students and families ask a lot is, you know, should I send multiple new recommendation letters? You know, is more, more, is more better in this case? And the answer is usually no. Um, sometimes, you know, it's worth having a kind of a, a thoughtful moment about is there a new letter of recommendation perhaps that could shed light on a different aspect of my personality or application that maybe hasn't been sufficiently conveyed, in which case, sure, maybe that's something um, that we would want to think about submitting to sort of create an even more dynamic picture. But in general, just um, throwing stuff out there and inundating admissions readers who already have a ton on their plate probably isn't the way to go. Right. And then is there anything um, that will help you like stand out, you feel like, if you're deferred and you're hoping to get accepted in the second round? Like anything that you can do to kind of step apart from the crowd? Because arguably, you know, by submitting like updates, you're already standing out from the crowd a good bit. I feel like a lot of people don't do that. But is there anything else you can do even within that context? Like take a campus visit, right? Or something like that? or Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think demonstrating interest remains an important part of the process. I don't know that it's necessarily differentiating. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not going to encourage everyone to hop on a plane and just show up. I also don't think, again, sort of in the spirit of being respectful of the admissions officer's time, um, that they're likely to want to have those conversations. Um, but I think there are ways to do it that um, – are, are perhaps more manageable than simply going back to campus, which is, again, to really be specific and thoughtful about why that particular school is the right fit for you. And that's something that should be conveyed in the first round application itself. Um, but to really give some thought kind of in your own journey um, as you're thinking about, you know, is this a place I really want to be? And to make sure that that's being conveyed in um, a clear and compelling light through whatever form of communication you take. Got it. Okay. So might be, um, might be more about just doing like a touch point that shows your accomplishments, but does so in a way that is relatively concise because you're trying to make sure it actually gets read. I think, I think that's right. And I would also say, and this is maybe fairly obvious, but don't disengage, um, from school. I mean, there's like the risk of senioritis kicking in because deferrals happen and then it's the new year and then we're basically in the spring semester of junior year and there's a temptation to want to maybe step off the gas pedal in terms of commitment to grades or extracurriculars. But remember, after a deferral, you're still in the pool. Um, so any further accomplishments can still be impactful. Right, exactly. And then do any of these things change or shift a little bit if you're waitlisted as opposed to deferred, right? Because it's a different timetable. It's usually coming a lot, usually coming sometime in the spring, right? I would say the same general principles apply. Um, I think it means that grades matter even longer into senior year than many students wish that they did. Um, But it is sort of a potential outcome that I do remind my students of where I say, look, it's possible that your grades could still be under scrutiny in April or May. So 
it's not time um, to relax just yet. That's what the summer's for. We've got time. Right. Do you feel like there's any, do you th- like most, a lot of times you're trying to take AP classes in junior year so that you have them kind of on your resume for, for the initial application. But if you didn't do that, do you feel like it's worthwhile to take AP classes senior fall or even senior spring? Absolutely. So from a sort of rigor perspective and having the most challenging course load available, um, AP senior year absolutely matter. AP exam grades will not be accessible to colleges in time for the admissions process, um, but AP coursework grades will be. Um, so an important mm-hmm. distinction. From senior year, just to be senior, clear. Right? Yes, for senior a, year. If you take an AP exam in junior year, that still goes on your record, yeah? Um, AP exam grades are optional to submit, um, mm-hmm. but certainly can be an additive um, data point if you take the junior year, definitely. So the exam grades are not going to be considered as part of the application admissions process um, for senior year. Certainly the class grades will be. Um, And it's also possible just kind of looking ahead uh, that students may be able to bypass certain requirements or classes um, with strong AP exam scores from senior year. Um, So they matter from that perspective. Right, because yeah, you're, then you're reducing how many classes you need to take in college that are probably like things that you already covered. Exactly, and not every college um, offers AP credit, um, and not every student wants to take advantage of that opportunity. Some students want to retake certain classes um, as part of the sort of settling into college process, um, but it's definitely something to have in mind as an option. Great. And then any kind of... Uh, Anything else that we haven't covered yet on how to improve your chances of getting in when you're deferred or waitlisted? Um, I would say that we've really covered it all, but to not let the angst and anxiety of the waiting game, um, because nobody enjoys that, uh, become a distraction or an impediment to progress when formulating essays and applications for the remainder of the school list. I think there's such a strong mindset component to all of this, and nobody feels good after a deferral in December, especially with sort of imminent looming January 1 deadlines. But I really encourage our students to kind of stay positive. The um, one deferral um, or a handful of deferral outcomes is not necessarily kind of a predictor of everything to come. So stay hopeful and keep working and don't let it be a reason to not produce high quality work for those January 1 deadlines. Great. Thank you, Lindsay. This has been Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Lindsay Tan from Logic Prep. And you can get a free trial of Achievable's ACT course at achievable.me. You can use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout.